Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, you'll find out why every day should be Earth Day. We'll also get the details on the upcoming NEPA Horror Fest. Need some tips for picky eaters? We have them. We'll also hear about volunteering for the DAV. There's a new scam out there, and we're going to get the details from AARP. But starting us off... Brenda Sacco, Director of Economic Development in Lackawanna County, has your invitation to the Lackawanna Give Back Festival. We here at Odyssey are proud to be a part of the event. Brenda, you have something exciting coming up. in. La- There's always something exciting in Lackawanna County, but you have something exciting that you want to tell us about. What's happening? Absolutely. On Saturday, May 14th at the Pavilion at Montage Mountain, uh, Lackawanna County is going to be featuring Give Back on the Mountain Music Fest. It will be from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. It's going to feature local musicians. We're going to have 70-plus vendors, and they will be displaying crafts, and there will be food trucks, restaurants, and much, much more. It's going to be a great family fun day filled with lots of activities and and food and, and beverages, and we're going to be displaying many of our local vendors, so it'll be a great opportunity to do some shopping as well. That sounds like worth getting involved in. So if people are hearing about this perhaps for the first time, do they have to get tickets in advance? Can they just decide when they wake up that morning? I heard about that. Now I think I want to go. How does that work? They can just wake up that morning and at 12 p.m. it starts and it ends at 8 p.m. There's a free admission. So you can just go right up to the gates. Parking is free and there'll be lots of live entertainment and uh, fun things to do all day. So You know, if you're planning to come for all eight hours, that's great. Otherwise, you can just go with your day and whatever time works, uh, you can come and there'll be free admission. And it's, again, a a family-friendly event. Oh, you said the magic word there, free. That makes everything so much better. And talking Absolutely. about talking about all of the, the different bands that are going to be there, do you have a few that our listeners might recognize the names? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll have um, Clarence Spady Band. We are going to have the Exact Change Band. We're going to have Mark Woodyatt. We're going to have Doug Smith Dixieland, uh, Jay 
Ray Luke, uh, Modern Ties, Picture Perfect, Danielle, Giants of Science, Lightweight Band, Leanne and Company. So there's there's going to be over 20-some bands performing throughout the day on two different stages. Well, you have something for everybody's taste. Now, people who are listening to that may have said, oh, that's that my favorite band, but I don't know... Is there a place that people can go to find out when and where they're going to be performing? Absolutely. You can go to LackawannaGiveBack.com and it will list the vendors and the entertainment. Where did Lackawanna Give Back Festival come from? The commissioners wanted to give back to our local musicians and our small businesses. So uh, last year in 2021, we had the musician grant. It was called the Music Reopening Grant Program, where we had given out over, over 70 grants to local musicians. And some of those local musicians were chosen to play on May 14th at the Give Back event. Again, it's free and it's going to support the reopening of Lackawanna County and support the travel and hospitality and leisure industry. Well, it certainly sounds like there is going to be something for everyone there, whether it's music or food or and all of these vendors that are going to be there are local as in Lackawanna County or Northeast PA? Northeast PA. We're happy to be part of that. Our folks here at Odyssey are getting the word out to let people know. Do you hear often, Brenda, oh, there's nothing to do here? We do. And and again, I think this event is going to be one that hopefully will continue for years to come. We're displaying our, our local musicians, our, our local vendors and, and small businesses. And I think it's going to be a really fun-filled day event for everyone. And again, it's free. I'm going to give you the last word here, Brenda. Tell us where, tell us when, tell us anything else that we may have forgotten to mention about the upcoming Lackawanna Give back festival well it's saturday may 14th at the pavilion at montage mountain from 12 p.m to 8 p.m so come out and support our local businesses again free admission free parking and it should be a fun filled day for everyone and somehow i think the weather is going to be perfect i agree Thanks again to Brenda Sacco, Director of Economic Development in Lackawanna County, with your invitation to the Lackawanna Give Back Festival. Here at Odyssey, we're proud to be a part of that, and we hope to see you there. Coming up next, we're going to meet the U.S. Marine Corps veteran and DAV National Voluntary Services Director, John Kleindens. He's going to tell us how you can become a volunteer to help our veterans. John, when people are looking for a reason to volunteer someplace, you are the man who can tell us how they can get involved with our veterans. How does that happen? Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, The AV Disabled American Veterans, encouraging your listeners to get out and volunteer for veterans in the community. It's super simple. They can go to volunteerforveterans.org to learn more about what we have to offer as far as volunteer needs. And when we're talking about volunteering, John, I think a lot of people might be a little bit, ah, gee, what can I do? I don't understand what they would want. What do they need? Can you fill in some of those gaps? Absolutely. I'll say your imagination is your only limit. We're looking for individuals to become part of our DAV transportation network. You've probably seen some of our vehicles driving around in the community there. Those individuals provide free rides for veterans to and from their medical appointments. 
Uh, we're looking for individuals who want to volunteer for their neighbor who's a veteran who may not be able to mow his grass or shovel his sidewalk uh, or his driveway or her driveway, uh, maybe has trouble cleaning gutters. It's a great opportunity for you to get the, the, the kids involved. Bring the youth with you. The young men and women volunteer, earn an opportunity to be eligible for one of our DAV scholarships that we offer. So there's a variety of ways to get involved. And I will tell all your listeners, your imagination is your only limit. Let's talk a little bit more about those scholarships. How does that program work? It's a wonderful program. Uh, DAV revamped the scholarship program late last year. We now award 10 scholarships valued at $110,000 in total. Uh, Your listeners can go to uh, DAVscholarships.org to learn more about our scholarship program, but it's super, super simple. They have to volunteer for DAV and gain 100 hours in volunteering. Uh, that's how, that's the basis to be eligible for the scholarship. And the last thing is you got to be 21 years of age or younger, but go to DAVscholarships.org to learn more. John, you as a Marine Corps veteran, thank you for your service. And as the DAV National Voluntary Services Director, you must hear a lot of the feedback when you go out on programs such as this. What do you hear about that? What do the people who volunteer get back? Well, I'll tell you a wonderful story that I like sharing, and it never gets old. I want to talk about an individual by the name of Adam Greathouse. He was severely injured in his military uh, service, and they did not expect him to survive. While he was uh, physically recovering, he went to a very deep and depressive state. He found out about DAV through our winter sports clinic that we put on with the Department of Veterans Affairs. After attending that event, uh, he asked how he could give back. I encouraged him to become a volunteer. He went home to his home state of West Virginia, became a peer-to-peer counselor at the Huntington VA, and is now thriving greatly by volunteering and giving back to his fellow brothers and sisters who serve. That's the kind of impact uh, DAV has on, in regards to our programs, and we encourage all your listeners to consider becoming a volunteer. Check us out at volunteerforveterans.org. You mentioned the Department of Veterans Affairs, and we have VA medical facilities in our area here. Would that be somewhere that our listeners would start? Uh, Yeah, they can start there. They can go in, uh, ask to speak to the Voluntary Services Department and tell them they want to become a DAV volunteer and find out what needs they have. Again, our transportation network is a great need. An individual is uh, able to pass a fiscal, has a valid driver's license, and is insurable. Uh, We definitely would consider them to become a DAV volunteer driver. They can also go to volunteerforveterans.org, complete an application process on that page, and we can reach out to them and walk them through whatever volunteer opportunity would best fit them. So we can screen them that way as well. You mentioned that you have sports programs and also the National Disabled Veterans Golf Clinic each year. Are those on a national level? Do you ever come down to a local level such as here in Northeast Pennsylvania? Or are there other types of events like that that we might be able to find out about? Those are national programs that what we hold in a central location every year. There are local programs. I would, again, encourage your listeners to check us out at volunteerforveterans.org. Let us know what your interest is. We can help walk them through that process. There are local events that take place, like a, a PGA Hope is a regional event that take place, and it's it's modeled very closely to the National Disabled Veterans Golf Clinic. That's something locally that would probably take place in your area. You mentioned going and helping veterans that are in your community. How would we know if we don't know who our neighbors are? Sometimes in this day, we have no idea who lives next door or down the street, but 
are there ways that we would be able to find out if we have any that close to home? If you go to volunteerforveterans.org, yes, uh, fill out, say you want to become a volunteer. What we do is we then go into our database and we find a veteran in the area who has a need and we'll notify you in an email that says, hey, there's an individual within a 25 mile radius of where you're located that has a need. Are you willing to help us meet that need? So we do all the legwork for you behind the scenes. That's It's a really simple process. I would also encourage your listeners to consider doing stuff at veteran memorials. You know, they could always use a quick cleanup, talk to the local town, let them know you're wanting to organize an opportunity for families to get out and clean up a memorial and do it in honor of DAV. That's one great opportunity. And also reach out to your local DAV chapter. The Northeast portion of Pennsylvania has very active chapters in the area. Uh, They'd be glad to entertain volunteer opportunities from your listeners It's a very simple process. Getting the word out about volunteering and involving veterans, again, as I said in the very beginning, can sometimes be a little bit daunting for people because, again, you don't know sometimes how to approach them, as you told us the story of of the gentleman who was still dealing with a lot of things. Would you have any advice for any of our listeners who may be thinking about this and are just a little bit, oh, maybe I don't know what to say. Maybe I don't know what to do. I don't want to offend anyone. What would be your advice on that? Simple. Thank them for their service. Let them know that you're there to help. If there's something that comes up, have them reach out. Don't be afraid. Uh, Walk up to them, say, appreciate your service. Glad to help out. Let me know what we can do. Uh, get involved with the local DAV chapter. Let them know your interest as a group or as an individual, and they'll definitely help walk you through that process. John, you've given us a lot of good resources. So what I'm going to ask you to do right now is to put it all together in a nutshell with the information as far as where we can get more information, either nationally, locally. I'll turn it over to you. I'd just like to thank our nation's veterans and their families for their service and sacrifice to our country. And a big thank you to everyone volunteering their time to help veterans. For more information or to find out what best fits you, go to volunteerforveterans.org to learn more about what DAV has to offer. Thanks again to John Kleindentz, U.S. Marine Corps Veteran and DAV National Voluntary Services Director, for joining us with all those great helpful tips on how we can help our veterans. Now, don't go away. When we come back, you've heard of gift card scams. Well, this gift card scam you might not have ever heard of. We're going to get the details from AARP and get some healthy nutrition tips for kids on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. We're going to meet Kathy Stokes. She's Director of Fraud Prevention Programs on the AARP Fraud Watch Network. And what she's going to tell us about are gift card scams. But this is one you may not have heard of. Kathy, we're going to talk about scammers. And boy, they're all over the place. And now this gift card stuff is just crazy. So what do we do? Let me lay out why it's so crazy. And it's it's not just on one front. It's on two. We did this survey to find out what people's experience was in one of two scenarios. Let's say you give somebody a gift card or you receive a gift card and you find that there's no value on it. Uh, We found out that one in four U.S. adults have experienced that. And then on the other side, about a third of us have experienced someone trying to get us to load money onto a gift card and share the numbers off the back to pay for some 
alleged obligation. And you put it all together, 73 million adults have experienced this. Why gift cards? Well, uh, in terms of the, the scam where they try to get you to pay with a gift card, it's just because they're so easy to get. I mean, you can walk into any store and pick up any type of gift card. And so they're readily available and um, they figured out a, a easy way for them, the scammers, to get people to believe that this is a legitimate form of payment. People may be hearing this and have been hearing this and they may get to the point where they're saying, oh, maybe I'm just not going to deal with gift cards at all. Is that too far or can we still deal with gift cards safely? Well, I mean, come on. We love the gift card. I don't think any of us is going to give up the gift card, but I think there are some safe ways to navigate them. First of all, if anybody ever tells you you owe some obligation and that the easiest, quickest way to deal with it is to buy a gift card and share the numbers off the back, that is a scam 100% of the time. So there's that. And then on purchasing gift cards, I honestly think the safest way to purchase a gift card that you want to give to somebody as a gift is to go to that uh, retailer or that whatever organization that you want to buy it from online on their website. That way you can have it sent to your friend or you can do it electronically and you know that the money is going to be on that card. If you have to buy it inside of a store, that's okay. But when you go over to that big rack, maybe just don't pick the first one up because that may have been manipulated. And so that as soon as you take it to the register, the money is as good as gone That's the way these guys do it. So I would take the ones from the back of the hanger, take a real close look, make sure it doesn't look like it's been manipulated. And then, you know, keep your receipt in the event you find that there is a problem, you might be able to get the money back if you have the, the receipt and information on uh, where you bought it. I've never heard of that one. In a store? Buying a, a gift card a problem? Because they're ubiquitous, uh, criminals want to take a piece of the action. And there are a few different ways that I've heard they do it. Sometimes they'll send uh, sort of the lower level criminals in and they'll take the cards off of the racks. They'll uh, expose the, the activation code on the back and then um, take a picture, cover it back up because you can actually buy that little piece of film that goes right back over it put it back on and then they create a, a computer software program that monitors for the activation. So as soon as you purchase that card, they're able to drain those funds. And there are also electronic ways that they can get into the systems of the retailer or the card issuer. We've uh, experienced that uh, among U.S. adults. One in four of us have experienced having a gift card with no money on it. <laughs> Boy, they're really going through a lot of work to get that $20 sometimes, but I get it. Sometimes it can be much more. It can be much more. I think the average that we've heard of on loss on those is about two hundred dollars. Wow, that's yeah, Kathy. You really, you really woke me up that way. I've never actually heard of that one before. So, the folks at AARP, you get out there, you get the information, you ask people all the questions. This is what you're getting back as far as the folks uh, that you've asked. Uh, what's going on with these gift cards? So. AARP, what are you guys doing? Well, we're doing things like this to bring awareness to the problem, but we're also calling on the industry, whether it's the retailers or the payment processors or the card issuers, they need to do more 
to combat this kind of fraud. And this could include more in-store interventions. It can include training employees to be able to uh, identify when something's amiss, point of sale system enhancements, restoring consumer losses because we have learned that not many people are able to get their money back. And there's the use of data analytics, artificial intelligence that can help these organizations spot fraudulent transactions and stop them. And we want them to uh, go full bore into this space. You're also involved with lawmakers. So have you been able to talk with them and get them more up to speed on all of this? Well, as we are educating the public, we are also educating lawmakers and their staffs and hoping that uh, we can have an opportunity to talk about what specifically they can do to protect consumers in this way. All right. So again, we're talking about this whole gift card scam and there's so many facets to it, obviously, that I have never heard of. But where can we go to get more information? We have a great website at aarp.org slash Fraud Watch Network, and we have tip sheets and information on gift cards and a whole other range of scams, because if you know about one, you're far less likely to engage with it. So I'd highly recommend going over and checking that out. Before I let you go today, if you can just recap for our listeners, all of these different, especially that one in the stores, can well, just go over and tell our listeners all about all these different things. If you're going to purchase a gift card, there is a chance that that card has been manipulated if it's on a rack and it's the first one on the on the rack. So what you want to do is pull from the back to try to and make sure that it doesn't look like it's been manipulated by somebody because if it is manipulated, then as soon as you purchase it, those dollars come right off of that card. So if you're going to buy in a store, go from the back of the rack and look very carefully. Or you could go right to the retailer or the restaurant or whomever it is you want to buy it off. Go to their website and order it through their website. You can get a card sent to somebody or you can have an electronic version. That way, you know, nobody's manipulating it. Give everybody that warning when they get that call that says you need to send me gift cards. In 100% of the cases, Paula, that is a scam. Hang up the phone. There you go. And don't ever give out your personal information. Exactly right. Anything that we've missed, Kathy, that you'd like to make sure we leave with our listeners? Well, you know, there is research. It says if you know about a specific scam, you're 80% less likely to engage with it. And if you do engage, you're 40% less likely to lose money or sensitive information. Education matters. If you've learned something listening to this today, share it. Pass it forward. Tell your parents. Tell your friends. And let's all try to inoculate ourselves from these criminal activities. Some good advice there from Kathy Stokes, Director of Fraud Prevention Programs from the AARP Fraud Watch Network. And of course, you can get more information by going to aarp.org. Need some healthy nutrition options for kids or Maybe you have that picky eater you're dealing with? Dawn Webster, Advanced Practice Clinician Director with MedExpress, has some suggestions. Dawn, we're always concerned about food and what we're taking into our bodies, especially when there are children involved. So what do you say when a parent would say to you, what are the good things that I should feed my child? So the most important thing to kind of remember when it comes to healthy eating in children 
is that they need a very well-rounded diet. So they need to make sure they're getting tons of fruits and veggies and fresh is best. Also some whole grains, uh, fat-free or low-fat dairy products, and that's kind of newer. And then also a variety of um, foods that are high in protein. And then the lowest on the list are the fats and the oils, the healthy fats and oils. Let's talk a little bit about that low-fat on the list because again I thought that as we were children we needed to bulk up in that area in order to keep us healthy. So the recommendations now are that when your um, baby is six months old you can start introducing them to foods and drinks other than breast milk or formula. So they're still recommending breast milk or formula only until six months but then after that you can start introducing them to the baby foods. So the veggies, the fruits, um, the baby cereal, even any of those. And they really don't give us an order to use anymore. So before there was a very specific, you should do this first and then this. Now they're saying it doesn't actually matter what order you do it in as long as you wait that six months. And then when you are starting to introduce them to the new foods, um, it's always smart to kind of write down or keep a log of what you're doing just in case they do have a reaction or get an upset stomach on something. That way you can look back and say, oh, that was the day I gave, you know, her squash. So maybe squash didn't agree with her that day. We'll try it again, but, you know, we'll wait a couple of weeks. So that's another thing I kind of like to mention. And along those same lines, when you are first introducing foods at that point in time, six months, I'm sure that that's when the picky eaters are also going to begin. And you mentioned about, you know, having something that is going to make them ill or not agree with them. But what happens when they just don't want to eat that squash? So it's it's actually okay. So pretty much from six months to a year, the solid foods, and, and I mean, they're still baby food, but those foods that we're giving them is more just for practice. At first, they're not going to like the texture. They're going to spit out more than they eat. It's more just kind of getting them used to getting that in their mouth, um, learning how to kind of sit in a chair and, and what they're supposed to do. And it's not really for nutrition. They're still getting all the nutrition they need from either the breast milk or the formula. This is more just for practice and kind of getting them used to new textures and new flavors. And most of the time they probably won't like it. So it's kind of one of those things that we do just to kind of start getting them used to it. And it's actually okay if, if they don't like it at all. All right, let's fast forward a little bit now. The kids are starting to get a little bit older. So now, again, we're making changes. We're introducing them to new foods. What about an older age group? What do we have to look for for them? So once kids are 12 months or older, um, they can pretty much eat everything that we are eating. So the most important thing to remember with that is we are setting their examples. We are making their meals. So at that point, we need to be good role models. We need to make sure that the foods we are serving and we are eating ourselves have a variety of fruits and vegetables are well balanced. So essentially they're eating the same things we are. So we just need to make sure that our diets are good and then their diets will be good. All right. And I'm going to ask you the same question then. We're now into that age group, especially when we're starting on many different foods. And again, you introduce squash, And now all of a sudden, someone along the line says, ew, you don't like that, do you? So what do we do? So the best thing to do is is really just to praise them for trying it. So 
there are people that don't like certain foods and that's fine. But kids, a lot of times will say they don't like something based on how it looks. So the, the most important thing is to really get them to, to kind of try it. Now, typically babies that are, you know, between one and two, they'll eat whatever you put on their plate. So that's actually the easiest time to, to feed them what you're eating because they're not going to question it. It's when they get a little bit older, between three, three to five, really, that, you know, they start with that, ooh, I'm not eating that. But I, I have to say that the more times you put it in front of them, the hungrier they are, they will try it. Some of the things they'll like, they'll keep eating it. If not, cook it a different way, you know, give them veggies or fruits that they do like. So there's lots of options, but just keep trying and, and, you know, really reward them or praise them for trying things, even if they don't want to, because that's the most important thing. All right. And I've known a few of these in my time. I'm only eating chicken nuggets. I'm only eating a grilled cheese sandwich. I'm only eating spaghetti. Now what? Well, you know, it sounds like you're talking about my daughter, but we just do the best we can. The good news is a lot of times kids do love fruits like strawberries or grapes. So, you know, put those on their plate with with the chicken nuggets or the spaghetti or the buttered noodles or whatever it is that they're eating. And it really just kind of, you know, keep giving it to them. Keep keep trying. I don't think it's necessarily a good thing to force them to eat things because they really may not like it. I kind of hedge on that, but in terms of variety, just keep trying different things. Eventually you'll find something they like. And then also to kind of well-round it, um, you know, give them a, a yogurt smoothie or give them something fun or something, you know, that, that looks fun to them or tell them you're going to make them a milkshake, but it's really a yogurt smoothie. They don't know. So, you know, you can also incorporate healthy things, that kind of are disguised as treats. So I always, I always, always like to mention that also. Now, when we get a little bit older, then we may be introduced to a lot of things because we get involved in things at school and we need to cut those corners. So what do we do when it comes to the kids when they're in their teens? And yeah, we know those hamburgers and things are probably the main course of their diet. So the most important thing when it comes to teens would be that, again, we are limiting their exposure. So it, it may be easier and quicker to just run the McDonald's and, and grab fast food. But unfortunately, that's not the healthiest option. So if you can, you know, pack something, put it in the car. The other option would be to, again, just, you know, try to get them involved. Ask them if they want to help cook dinner. Um, show them how to use the grill, show them how to use the oven or the stove, especially girls. They love to bake. They love to try new things, new recipes. Boys not aren't always quite as interested when they're younger, but some are. So that would be my other suggestion would be to try to get them involved, try to get them to help in the kitchen. And that even works with little kids, but you just have to give them, you know, a lot more guidance and help. All right. Who was that in the background? Oh, for the for goodness sake, my, my dog. <laughs> Thanks again to Dawn Webster, Advanced Practice Clinician Director with MedExpress. She always has great health tips to pass on to us. And it was nice to meet Hank, who was listening in the background. And I'm sure that when there are kids in the house, your pets follow them around, knowing what's going to be dropped on the floor. 
Now, don't go away. Coming up next, the NEPA Horror Fest and Scranton DIY Punk Collective is coming in June. We'll have the details on that. Plus, our Odyssey sister station in Washington, D.C. will tell us why every day should be Earth Day next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Does the movie Pet Cemetery send a chill down your spine? Well, you won't want to miss the NEPA Horror Fest and Scranton DIY Punk Collective coming in June. That's going to be one of the movies screened. And you'll even get to meet one of the actors. Jess Mione has all the details. Jess, there's something big coming up that I know a lot of people in Northeast Pennsylvania are going to be excited about. And it's kind of scary. What do you got? On Saturday, June 25th, at the Circle Drive-In up in Dixon City, we are doing our annual NEPA Horror Fest event. Uh, started out as a film festival and uh, focuses around all arts in the local region. Primarily, we're going to be screening Pet Cemetery Friday the 13th and Night of the Demon. And we're also going to have a large art market there with over 50 vendors and live music. So it is an all-day event. And tickets can be found at NEPAHorrorFest.com. And I understand you're having a special guest as well? Yes. Starring in Pet Cemetery was Miko Hughes. He's all grown up now, and he starred in a lot of other films, as well as Kindergarten Cop, as well as Full House, uh, the TV show. And uh, I think a lot of people will recognize him, and he'll be up there during the, the middle of the day in the afternoon for autographs, signings, and photos. Well, I know Pet Cemetery was probably one of the movies that really freaked me out. So I think you're going to have a great crowd because there's a lot of people like me that are saying, oh, bring it back on the big screen. How exciting. Now, before it gets here, you're still looking for some folks to get involved? We're looking for sponsors for the event right now. This event is a great way to promote someone's local business that supports the arts because not only do we have local artists that vend, we also have uh, local filmmakers that submit their films to be screened alongside these major films. So those lead up into the night and local bands play. So it's really a celebration of local people in the arts. And so we're looking for businesses that value those things and want to support us there. We have uh, a few sponsors right now, but we would love to have a few more to help support the endeavors that day. Now, if you have someone out there who's listening who would like to get involved in becoming a vendor or becoming a sponsor, how can they go about doing that? Our applications are at NEPAHorrorFest.com. All the information's there. The ticket sales are there. Pretty much everything you need to know is there, but we also encourage people to go on our social media account on the NEPA Horror Fest page and definitely click going and share the event page on there and help spread the word. That all helps too. And when we're talking about Horror Fest, for people who might remember it, it did happen in the past, correct? Yes, it's been uh, happening for a couple of years now at the Circle Drive-In. And really, it's meant to be an all-day event. So it starts around noon on June 25th, and people can come up and shop during the day, all the local vendors. And not only artists are there, there's a lot of collectibles there, a lot of people that have vinyl, records, VHS tapes, and kind of like a whole commodity of different, unique types of objects to to purchase and to network with other artists that are there and to hear some local live music. We're going to be having about seven 
different bands playing throughout the day. And then as it turns to dusk, then the movies will screen at night and people are welcome to um, come up and leave as well. If they would like to take a break, maybe get some dinner in the area there. We'll also have some food vendors there as well, but just in case there is re-entry and kids 12 and under are free. So there's a lot of different packages of tickets available on our website too. You can buy an individual ticket. There's also a date night ticket, or if you feel like going with a group of friends or family, there's a ticket for that too. So lots of different affordable options for people to choose from. And uh, we just hope to make it an exciting day where people can have some fun in the sun and then at night enjoy some spooky movies. We call it spooky summer for our annual June event. We do this again during uh, Halloween, but we wanted to do it at both ends of the year. I, I like the idea that you said sun in the, in the daytime. So I hope you know something that they don't know and that there will be sun. So if you will just give us once again, wrap it all up for us, the when, the where, and who you're looking for and how they can find out more about it. Sure. This is the NEPA Horror Fest. It's on Saturday, June 25th at the Circle Drive-In in Dixon City. We are going to be screening Pet Cemetery Friday the 13th and Night of the Demon, along with some vintage trailers and a few local films. Tickets can be found at NEPAHorrorFest.com. Sponsorship packages are available, and there's going to be an assortment of an art market live music and movies, fun all day, different ticket packages to choose from, re-entry, and kids 12 and under are free. NEPA Horror Fest and Scranton DIY Punk Collective coming in June. Thanks for the details, Jess. Now our Odyssey sister station in Washington, D.C., WIAD's Corinna Delgado and Bronson Griscom of Conservation International tell us why every day should be Earth Day. It's Karina Delgado from 94.7 The Drive in Washington, D.C. And for the Odyssey app, as we are joined today by Bronson Griscom for Earth Day, the Senior Director of Natural Climate Solutions. Welcome. Karina, it is uh, an honor and a pleasure to be here. Well, I have to say, I'm very excited to have you here in the studio, and I mentioned this earlier. You're the first person that I've had in the studio since the beginning of the pandemic, so you are my very first guest in the new normal, in the new times. Wow. Okay, so I'm even <laughs> more honored. Um, yeah, that is that. it is so much fun to get back to a little three-dimensional, you know, back to the basic primal forms of human interaction in person. So wonderful to be here with you. Yeah, we get to share a little bit of energy instead of doing this on Zoom today. Well, of course, we're here to honor Earth Day and have a conversation about uh, what is happening with our Earth. You are the lead conservation international natural climate solutions science team. So you played a key role in the strategic development of natural climate solutions science across the organization, leading a research agenda that helps deliver on conservation international's climate goals, which is, whew, that's a mouthful. And I just read that in full. But what does that really mean? If you want to just put that in a nutshell for our listeners. Well, one of the things it means is that as an organization, we, and I should say, a number of other organizations, but we were, I think, in the forefront of really shifting our focus to deal with this existential crisis that brings us all together, right? Yes. Sort of global connective tissue that is bringing organizations from all walks of life together 
to solve this great problem and to solve a bunch of problems at the same time. And so from the environmental side, we realize it's not just environment, people and environment. Mm. And when it's people and environment, you put those together and climate is it. So that is realization that we had a number of years. And natural climate solutions, now maybe I'm being a little bit self-centered here, but it's, it's at the center of that storm. Okay. Um, in a positive way, right? Which is what are the solution set um, that we need not just to respond and adapt to climate, but to solve it. And is it solvable? <laughs> that is the, I mean, that is the question. That like, is the question. So it is okay. definitely solvable. Okay, because I want to know, like, straight out the gate, are we doomed yeah. or not? <laughs> yeah, so, well, I mean, I would start with just a personal sensation. Sure. In responding to that question, <laughs> which is, I, you know that feeling of surprise when you realize that you are you have a, a role reversal mm-hmm. and you're like, wait a second, my, I used to be this and now I'm this. So for me, I have gone from being um, chicken little, <laughs> the sky is falling, right? doomsday, folks, wake up, this is grim, basically the catastrophizer mm-hmm. in my family and in my circle of friends to sort of shifting into a role of optimism. And okay. so, so it's like, okay, so how do you put those two pieces together? Um, so I remain let's just say, quite pessimistic Mm. about the near-term baked-in climate change. Okay. And so what that means is that, and this IPCC report, right, that just recently came out that kind of sets the stage for for Earth Day, (laughs) and it sets a grim stage. Things are worse than we thought. We are experiencing it in many parts of the world and many parts of the country. So in a sense, you know, I don't think there is that sort of dissonance between people's perception as much and of sort of science as sure. there used to be. But the point is like, yeah, on the one hand, it is grim. And we have to sort of take the red pill and face that um, and think about how, how serious this is on the one hand. However, um, the solution set is really exciting. Okay. And, you know, I also think not only have we been underestimating the problem, but we've been underestimating our ability to transform and solve that problem in a way that's really powerfully positive. It doesn't just solve a problem. It gets us to a better place. So that's the contrast that I would paint (laughs) in answering your question, is it doomsday? I would say it's not doomsday. It is grim, but we have an incredible opportunity this moment in time to turn the game around more than more than before. Sure. And I want to get back to the IPCC report here in just a second. But just to uh, piggyback on what you're saying there, one thing that we've learned through the pandemic, if nothing else, is that we can do hard things. We can surmount the supposedly unsurmountable. And so with that, I think... uh, where the report comes in is where we get the baseline on where we need to start. And as you mentioned just a moment ago, um, the report is actually a little more bleak than the, than they thought it was going to be. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so what we have seen, if we look back in the history of these IPCC reports, right? So what is it? This is a huge group of scientists representing virtually every country um, getting together and arriving at what I would consider as the sort of the greatest level of scientific consensus we have known as a global society. Okay. And in this case, around the great existential scientific crisis of our time, which, yes, is the pandemic, but the longer-term one 
is climate change. And so, okay, so that's, you know, as you just referenced, so that's what this report is about, is like, what's the state of play? And then this latest, and they have a series of ones, previous ones have been kind of, you know, where are we now? It's like, what are the solutions? So these IPC reports, the reports that come out at sort of, I think, is it seven-year intervals? They have consistently underestimated mm. the problem. But as a scientist, I can tell you that doesn't surprise me that much because whereas climate scientists have been painted into a place of sort of unnecessarily alarmist, mm-hmm. I would say the opposite. I would say scientists are actually a, a conservative group of people that don't like to talk about things that they're not really sure about, right? They're sort of, let's just say, a kind of introverted, kind of hesitant, culturally group of people. And um, so what does that translate to? That translates to kind of being very careful to not overstate. That is a bias in a sense, right? And that bias towards um, being careful about what you make a statement of will tend, has led us to, I think, not surprisingly, see a series of predictions that were actually underestimating. And so, again, it's not that surprising to me that now the report is saying, wow, things are a little worse thought, and we thought they were bad. Sure, because at seven-year intervals, if you've had series of underestimations, that is going to mount at some point, and here we are. So with that, um, I did read this, that the carbon emissions are still rising globally, and most countries are not on track to deliver on their climate commitments. But according to those reports, and according to your optimism, (laughs) there are things that we can do. So let's take a spin in that direction, because um, for those who care to listen those are people who want to help. So how do we give them a call to action? So we've talked about the bad news, right? Right. And now I'm thrilled that you're asking this question because this is the good news. We have a greater clarity about the solution set than we've ever had before. We have a, a greater set of science-based reasons mm-hmm. to implement that solution set, that toolbox. So it's more like now we have the instructions on how to put the Ikea desk together, nice. <laughs> so to speak. Yes. yes. <laughs> and that makes that makes a lot of sense, which because I think, you know, that it brings that quote to mind. The journey uh, of a thousand miles begins with one step. And so if we are able to break that down in a sci- more of a scientific process, it makes it more manageable. And since we're talking about uh, for Earth Day, one day, one thing. What, off the top of your head, are the three easiest things that people can do to have the greatest impact? I'm not a vegetarian. Uh, I love, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who loves to grill meat. But in the process of the work I've been doing, what has blown me away is the impact of cows. Really? The impact of cows is kind of hard to believe when you start to wrap your head around all of our agricultural land. So, so agriculture is one of the biggest impacts on the planet. So 70% of agricultural lands globally are used to produce 5% of our food. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of crazy, right? Right. That's kind of, kind of a sloppy system. It is a huge opportunity to, um, while we improve the availability of food, improve people's health, because mm-hmm. actually a lot of, like in America, for example, okay, we eat a little bit less meat. Okay. See, I am all about this alliteration. So you could do Meatless Monday, and maybe you could do a Walk to Work Wednesday, and, you know, that sort of thing, as far as putting things into bite-sized pieces. Because especially when you look at a report like this, and it does seem so bleak, 
I think, again, like regular people such as myself will get overwhelmed and just feel like, you know what, we're all doomed anyway. I'm just going to live my best life or whatever. But that best life could actually be a longer life and a longer life for this planet if we just make small changes to our lifestyle. Karina, you nailed it. And so I think what I would emphasize in what you just said is the excitement I have is in the sense that a lot of these fun, satisfying, joyful changes in our sure. lives. And so just like you said, I mean, there is so much good, delicious food out there that um, if you, sh- you know, that if we, if we kind of embark on that sort of joyful culinary journey is part of um, helping to save the planet. Same thing with walk to work, you know, Wednesdays, as you say, or bike to work or navigate the new landscape, yeah. but it's, it's exciting and it's fun. Yes, for sure. Well, so just in, in summary, although the IPCC report was bleak, what we did learn is that at the core of this is the human factor. And then the good news about that is since it is, in fact, the human factor, that means that we have the capability of changing the outcome if we change our behaviors And so one day, one thing, think of one thing that you can do today for Earth Day. And for this full report, you can log on at conservationinternational.org. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate your time and your gifts and your, your wisdom. Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 